This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. You are now listening to the Heroic Council. Uh, hi, everybody. Welcome to the Heroic Council. Uh, today, we have our uh, featured guest, Sarah Ohanzian. Um, <laughs> please, please, yes. <laughs> yes, Ohanzian. Ohanison. We're getting, we're getting closer. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's amazing. That's all right. <laughs> I'm so used Didn't to you it. Did you first meet like five years ago at this point? Yeah, but how often do you say people's last name to each other? I try to you say know? your last name as often as I can. It's fun to say Yuli. Yeah. <laughs> um, no anyways, so uh, today we're going to be talking um, specifically about uh, client and vendor relationships. Um, do they need to be the way they are and can they be better? Not um, relationships, so, by the way, just to clarify for people, we're not talking about ro romantic relationships between clients and vendors. We're talking about professional vendor client relationships. You need to specify that, Tim. We need well, to I just want to, I mean, this conversation is going to be free flowing. So I feel pretty confident that it can drift. <laughs> so <laughs> anyways, um, so um, Sarah, can, uh, can you tell me a little bit, because this was your idea to, to go into this topic today. Um, what, what inspired you to want to get in, into this conversation? Yeah, well, it's funny. It's funny, Jeff, that you clarified that because I'll I'll share quickly that that is how I met my husband. <laughs> I was a client; he was a vendor, and we fell in love. Um, so that's I, yeah, that's the, need, the love story that new, can come out of this. <laughs> I need a new set of questions now. Yeah. <laughs> anyways, <laughs> we're digressing quickly. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought it was an interesting topic because we've all, we all live in these relationships and especially now we can't even see our vendors and, and, and see the clients so much in person that the dynamic of this relationship is really powerful. And in a lot of ways it can make or break how successful our projects are and, and sometimes even how our business goes. So I thought a uh, relevant topic and also someone that most listeners of this live stream um, deal with from time to time. And I posted on LinkedIn that we were going to be talking about this. And I already got some comments like, yes, oh my gosh, that's me. I have been in a bad client vendor relationship. So um, thought it'd be great to talk about today. Sarah, so like uh, for somebody who's for the vast majority of her career been the client, um, has being a vendor put you on a different footing and like change how you thought have been thinking about client vendor relationships? You know, it, not not so much because I, I like to think, um, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that I always respected the the, the, the the vendors. And I think that's maybe a good place to start is I I always understood that, you know, vendors are humans too and people too with real feelings. Um, and so I hope that I was always a good client to work with. Um, obviously, I hope I'm a great vendor for my clients and someone that they enjoy working with. You know, we, we spend so much time with these people that I think it's important to um, really just enjoy the presence of them and respect the work that they were hired to do. So I, I don't think it's changed my perspective too much, but I, I definitely try to honor um, how important that relationship is for a business. And and uh, Jeff, I know you also have been on both sides, both the vendor and the and the client. Right now, you're primarily a vendor. Um, has what? How has that like informed your perception and how you built up your relationship with clients now and communicated with vendors in the past? Yeah, I echo a lot of what Sarah is talking about uh, in the sense that. At the end of the day, whether you're a client or you're a vendor, it's super important to respect that the person on the other side has a life outside of work with you, um, that they are human beings with feelings and relate to their work in a certain way that, you know, if we assume the best intent with most people, that it's likely that they're giving it their best effort and trying to do good work for you unless they're like, you know, like objectively and, and outwardly lazy and disinterested in doing the work. I, I think for the most part, we all try to come to these situations, trying to do good work for one another, trying to make a living in a way that, that, you know, makes us happy. So, you know, as a, as a client working with vendors, I think my experience of being on the vendor side makes me very understanding of that. And I think being a vendor when I'm working with clients, um, I tend to take a lot of accountability for that relationship and, 
um, and assume the best intent for them that maybe they're under a lot of stress or if they give me any sort of an attitude that it could be a lack of understanding, maybe I need to explain things better or whatever it might be. So, so I guess just to echo Sarah's point, I think that if you treat the other person with respect and empathy and compassion and all of that, you're going to have a good client vendor relationship. And uh, Parshal, I know like you and I have actually never worked directly with one another in the past. So I'm not, I'm not totally clear on like, like um, on what your like history of relationships have been there and, and how you operate. But um, what's been like your, like, where are you at now? Like, as far as like in your head, as far as client vendor relationships goes, are you happy with where you're at? Or is there things you're working on? What's going on with you? Yeah, I've actually found recently that I'm working there's been like like a shift that's happened and I feel like I'm working more with people that I actually like. Um, you know, honestly, you know, I could see myself having dinner and not feeling like when is this going to be over kind of thing. Whereas the mix of my clients before as a vendor was definitely more like, you know, if they're calling, if they're emailing, like I'm just like cringing a little bit or not really wanting to um uh, not as excited to help, if you will. But I mean, of course I help, I'm a helping person, but just when uh, when there's not good synergy just as a person and I don't feel like I could hang out with them, uh, I'm just finding that the more that I am uh, developing the, those kind of relationships with my clients, the better the work, the better the experience, the better um, in, in terms of how everything turns out and works out for both of us. Um, so relationship that with me is just like huge. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. Uh, do, you, do you guys echo that that same same point? Like, as in like your like feeling of like, oh, I could actually legitimately connect with somebody with this person outside of work. Does that does that affect your relationship with the with the vendor or client? Yeah, and and I can speak to that. I mean, Jeff and Tim, I have both been a client of both of yours and considered you both friends shortly after we began our relationship. Um, I think the nature of the work is is such that if you can see yourself being friends with them, it, it really helps. It helps to have open and honest communication. Um, I think it helps to give strong feedback when no one is defensive um, because this relationship is built on a, a mutual respect and a, and a friendship. It's it, it is really important in the success of the relationship. So I think it's it's happened to me many times where I felt like I could be friends with them and, and luckily have been in a lot of cases and, and still I'm friends with many previous um, vendors today. Yeah, I think that um, my take on it is, I think it's it's sort of par for the course or like it, it for me, you have to be friendly and respectful, right? So friendly, different than being friends. I, I think with anybody that I would want to work with, I would at least want it to be a friendly relationship because I've had contentious client relationships where like you're pulling at each other and like it, it's just, it becomes kind of that toxic feeling like that Parshel was describing of like, they text you or they email you and you're like, Ugh, you just get that like weird gut feeling because it's not a good relationship. It's not friendly. It's not respectful. And then I think bubbling up from that, there's the occasional time where it goes beyond you're friendly with one another. And you're actually like, no, like legitimately, I, I like this person so much. I want them to actually be like, whether we work together or not, I want to stay in touch with them and I want to be friends. And like, I, you know, Sarah, to your point, you're absolutely one of those people for sure. Um, there's been a lot of relationships that I've had where we're very, very friendly, but like if, if we're, if they invite me to go do a scavenger hunt, I might be like, eh, <laughs> kind of. but like you were like, Hey, let's go do that scavenger hunt. And I was like, I will do this every single year. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, I think the baseline is friendly and respectful. And if you get lucky, then friends is, is a, a much better outcome. So on that same, um, like uh, on the topic of communication, um, and what makes good communication as far as like setting the initial foundation with your client. And this question is directed towards Sarah. Like, what are some things that you like to keep in mind when you go for that initial conversation and you're going to set the tone and start to like, like kind of like, what are, what are some things that you should be thinking about in that first conversation? Yeah, I, I think that fundamentally you have to know what the outcome is that you are both going to deliver and who is going to do what and by when is so critical to this relationship. And it's interesting. I, in, in my marketing career, I saw that stepped missed so often. Like, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? When is it due? Um, and 
it's interesting because that that those points can get missed on on so many different uh, touch points. But kind of going back to basics is really really critical. And then once that that basic structure is outlined, really breaking it down in very specific details as to okay, we've defined this project. Now let's talk about what each element of this project means and when we're going to have that deliverable back to you by and how are we going to get feedback from one another how are we going to communicate what boundaries are we putting in place to parshall's point can i text you at 10 p.m with edits to this no you cannot like i think having having the structure of again what is it why are we doing it when is it due and how are we going to communicate with one another throughout this process um i think that kind of fundamental structure really sets the relationship up for success and then throughout keeping that communication open and saying hey this isn't really working for me or you've texted me at 10 o'clock last night and and i don't i, I go to bed early i'm not going to respond at that time you know just being open and honest with your your vendor because again, they're a human being too. And they might say, well, I didn't really like that you text me at 5 a.m. when you were up early. And I think just being really open about that communication as an ongoing process um, is, is everything. It's just so, so critical. Um, one final point on that then is just not to be so defensive. You know, we're so emotionally charged and tied to our work. And especially when you're a creative, right? Like in a sense, Tim, you we, you and I have worked on videos together. And then if I have to give a, a critique or a constructive criticism, it almost feels like if I'm critiquing your art, right? And that's, that's tough to do. So I think there's a way to be mindful and, and respectful, of course, but honoring what talent this person has brought to the table and then also on the on the vendor side is to not be you know defensive about if i if i didn't like one little thing is to just have a conversation about why or, or how we could make that better and kind of put those walls put the walls down instead of having the walls up can can really be helpful for communication so that was that was a lot of that was a long answer there so a lot to unpack there <laughs> so like um uh, and, and maybe Jeff, Jeff and Parshel can go into this a little bit more because um, you guys both work in, in different different disciplines. What are some of the things that you need to keep in mind specifically in each of your disciplines when you're communicating with the vendor just to give help us give some context to some of the things that Sarah said? Jeff, you want to start? Uh, sure. Um, so I think a lot of what Sarah said is is some of the advice I would give, which is if I could give like the one big thing, it's that you want to set the conditions of the relationship as early as you possibly can. So you want to get aligned at the very beginning rather than trying to force yourself to be on the same page throughout the process. So um, all of those questions about how we communicate, when we communicate, um, the tone of our communications, uh, timelines, any any of the different aspects of working together should be really clearly understood at the very beginning of it. And, you know, in, in my work with clients, I'm so, I'm trying to disqualify people. So like, I don't even have a qualification process. I have a disqualification process because I'm trying really hard to root out and, and filter out anybody that I wouldn't want to work with. So that's about the tone of our communications, about the, the impact they're trying to make in the world. There's all sorts of things that I do that I'm like, nah, you're not the right fit for me. So my velvet rope is thick and it is hard to get through. Mm -hmm. um, and I do that because what I found is the, the more lenient you are about who gets into work with you, the more likely you are to get into a work relationship that could potentially be toxic or unsettling or throw off your other work that allows you to work at, you know, at your best. When you're working with people that you know that you can do great work with, you align with what they're trying to do, you talk to each other in a way that's empowering to both of you uh, and respectful. Like when you have all of that in place, you can all do your best work together. Um, so I'm personally a big fan of like over communicating at the beginning all of the different things so that later on, there's no chance of like, oh, well, you never said that I couldn't text you at 10 p.m. Actually, I did. The onboarding email is quite long and there's a lot in there. And I told you to bookmark it. Yeah, I think assumptions are the one of the biggest obstacles in this kind of a relationship. I'm a, I, I thought you were going to do that. Oh, I thought you were going to do that. That is a slippery slope. And, and taking care of that at the beginning of saying we are defining mm -hmm. who is going to do what is really really important. So do not make assumptions. 
Mm. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. The uh, I was going to say too, with when it comes to communication with the vendors, I I still feel like we need to communicate even more, like kind of over communicate, but not in a way that's like annoying. But it's just like, okay, here's uh, a very clear you know, write up of deadlines, schedules, everything in this one email, this onboarding email, then there's another, you know, fault that's happening. There's going to be something in your calendar. There's going to be this. I'm also going to message you. Like there's a lot of over communication that I think has really been um, helpful in in my communication and doing and working with vendors. It's just, just reemphasizing things. It's like repeating different details of what we said we were going to do and just kind of keep, just keep that communication in there. So that way there is no, um, uh, assumptions that need to be made at all. Like we're very clear from the start uh, what what our goal is, why we're doing it, and you know when we can cross the the finish line and what that looks like. And that's also very clear. My friend has an interior design business, and one of her protocols that she teaches her team is that the client cannot email you first. So if there's a delay in a delivery, if something is going wrong, which inevitably will they want to be the one to tell the client, not have the client, you know, ask them first, oh, where is this? Why isn't this here yet? And I think that's just an amazing way to do customer service and manage expectations. Being proactive and taking ownership over that is absolutely a, a major component. One thing I want to add that I thought of when Parshel was talking is, you know, so much of what we're talking about here is communication. And one thing that I would always recommend is when, whenever possible, when interacting with a client, even if they don't do this, uh, employ the tactic of mirroring. So that lets people know that you've heard them. So mirroring being that you take what they said and you say it back to them. So if they say like, hey, it's really important for us to get this done by the end of February, you go, hey, I totally get it. It's really important for us to get this done by the end of February. And here's why you said that that's important. We got it, right? So let mirroring exactly back to them. It's a way of closing that gap because a lot of where client communications, I think, break down is in the uncertainty that's going on in the mind of one party or another, particularly typically the client is like, oh, I don't know if they heard me. I don't know if they've started on this. I don't know if they get me all that. So using a technique of mirroring can also allow you to give them a little bit more reinforcement that you get them, you heard them, mission landed or, or message landed. Yeah, I, I love that. I actually tell that to some of my clients is that when you leave a meeting, it's important to just reiterate that these are my takeaways from the meeting. Is that right? Like essentially, were we in the same meeting? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that is just amazing to just like Parshall said, you can't you can't communicate too often, and that is just a great way to check in and say, are we on the same page here? I'm just you know making sure, mm -hmm. and that's really important. Um, so I just kind of want to um, narrow down on this because I, like recent like recently, I, I I've been looking through like all my communications that I've been having with current clients that I'm currently working with. And I'm seeing like, okay, this could have been more specific. This could have been more specific. And it's like almost everywhere. Like I could see a level of like, like, ah, this was too vague. Like they could have probably read something wrong into this. Uh, how, how, how do you, um, like, I mean, I'm, I know a, a portion of this is done just through like forging through time and your experience and, and, and upgrading, but like, is there any way that you look at your, let's say your agreements or your SOWs that you were putting together and you feel confident that what's being communicated here is specific enough. Does that make sense? I'm just trying to get a feel for like, how do you know when you're being specific enough? I would imagine when you think it's overkill that you're possibly in the right spot. <laughs> and again, if it is overkill and if you've communicated too much, the worst thing that's gonna happen is the client says, I can't read this whole agreement, it's too long and and whatever, <laughs> but at least it's there and it's covered for you. So I don't think it's a bad thing if you have too much stated. Um, and I, I think it's important to just make those living documents. You know, Every time something goes wrong or something doesn't go as well as you wanted it to, to go back and update, update those documents and um, just, process and procedure is so important and keeping them uh, fluid and, and alive as you as you grow in your business. Also, I think as you scale your business, you might be able to work one way right now, but if you have a larger team, you might have to work a little bit differently. And so I think those documents are just, you're never finished essentially with those agreements, but they're gonna, they're gonna just continue to evolve. Jeff, and I feel like for you personally, like your agreements must be evolving pretty consistently because you're 
I, I could be wrong about this, but you, you've been wearing a lot of hats recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be the wrong way to put it, but like uh, your strategies are always to some level customized and you're like meeting the client's needs in all different places. So how, how do you work through that? Um, it's a really good question. I've been trying to think about since you asked that question and, and as Sarah was responding, I was trying to think how I know. And I think if there's anything, it's it. I do try to over communicate, but I, I read it as them, and I try to think. So let me actually back up. What is the purpose of the agreement or the statement of work? What is the purpose of the strategy? What is the purpose of all the documents? Right. So if you know what the purpose is of them, you'll actually look at them differently. So for an agreement and an SOW, the purpose is to cover your ass in case you have to go to court together, right? Like it's it's not you're not working off of the the agreement, and maybe you're working off of the statement of work. So the more accurate you can make the statement of work, it's building out your project plan. So that's great. But but ultimately the purpose of it is so that if there's a disagreement later. And you want to fire them or they want to fire you for one reason or another, you can go back to the document and you say, this is what we agreed to. So that's the purpose of that document, right? So when I, when I think about being specific there, I'm thinking about what are the things that could come up? And this is kind of to your point of like looking back on things and, and to Sarah's point of like learning and having it be a living document. So I'm looking back on what are the things people may have misconstrued or misunderstood in the, in the past, right? So I build on previous documents so that um, they're not expecting that, let's say I'm going to be working nights and weekends because I'm not right. So like I put in there what my, when they can expect me to be working, what the maximum amount of time, letting them know that I'm not submitting timesheets, like all the different things that go along with the way that I want to work so that we're agreeing to the way that I want to work. And I may need to bend on some of the things that I want to work on and they may have to as well. But in the agreement SOW standpoint, I'm thinking through how do I want my work with them to look and feel? And then I'm writing that down as specifically as I can with as little area for misunderstanding and gray as possible. So if I say you will communicate with me via email and email only, then when you text me, I don't have to respond to you. And Mm. if you want to get upset about it, I can say you can look at our statement of work, but I've clearly expressed in all of my things. So I guess the point is like, there is no, there is no objectively like right amount of specificity. Um, you know, for a strategy, for instance, it's different because for a strategy, if I'm not specific enough, they may take it in a different direction that wasn't intended. And that's just going to be like learning and iterating and getting better at it. So I think that the answer of specificity is going to be relative to the objective of whatever that communication actually is. Mm-hmm. It's more, sometimes it's less, sometimes more in your hands, sometimes more about what they want. There's no one single answer to it. Gotcha. Um, Parshel, Parshel how, how do you know when you when you're uh, when you feel like you're being specific enough and you're communicating like directly enough with the client? To me, and, and the type of work that that I do, it's very much centered around the deliverable, like the exact deliverable, how many of those those are, what the length of them are, um, you know, what specifically is it needs to be in them, whether it's music, graphics, things like that. So it's like from the start, I just base everything around the deliverable and then the time. And usually those are the variables that help me to know, like, is this super clear or not? Like, what are we handing over to you? And then um, and then by when and how much are you, know, what's the exchange for that? Those are like, the, the you know, that's all I need. The rest is just, as Jeff said, just a reference point for did we hit it or not? Or if there's been an issue, you know, let's reference it. But I'm super clear um, in that regard. And then. Um, I always like have an email, like I, I used to do these really long, like dramatic proposals. Like I call it dramatic because it was dramatic for me to like, you know, just stress over like how good this could look and all the design elements that went into it. Now I send just a straight up email, like bullet points, like this is what you asked for. This is what, because yeah. it really doesn't matter. They just want the the deliverable and they trust that, you know, that we can do it and do it the way we said. So um, to me, that, that's how I know that I'm being very clear. We're in agreement on what I'm actually doing around the deliverable. That's the other thing. Well, I, I go back to that because sometimes people um, think that it's about how much time went into it and which can you know change or the deliverable is where it always lands up to. And it's up to me as mm-hmm. the you know as the business owner to make sure that I'm using my resources wisely to make a profit. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, and to speed up our processes so that way, you know, we're not uh, not making any money. So, 
Can I add something to that? Just because yeah. you made me think of it. I think the deliverable and timeline is such a good way to look at it because ultimately that's what people are generally hiring even a service provider for, not just like a product company. Like product company, it's like you buy something on Amazon, they deliver it, that's that. But like for... Um, for a service-based company, it's typically they're hiring you to deliver something, right? And they're hiring you to deliver it within a certain timeline and they have a certain budget for it, right? The one thing that I think that it's important to also focus on in there, and Tim, you and I, have, I think, talked about this a lot, but like in the case of like, say, delivering a video uh, or any sort of creative work where there's going to be revisions, I think it's also really important to spell out exactly how those revisions go. How many days do they have to turn around their comments? Um, if there's going to be like, let's say royalty free music in there, or, or just say like, there's, there's going to be music in there, right? What's their budget for music? Like, they're not going to ask for like Eddie Van Halen to, you know, he's, I think he's passed away at this point. I'm not sure, but anyway, bring him back from the dead for it. Um, you know, if they want like video footage, like, do you have to blow up a helicopter or is it like standard drone footage or something? Right. So all of those different variables, I think if there's a possibility that someone's going to misinterpret it and it could wind up costing you a tremendous amount of money or anguish to deal with, you should specify it. So you get two rounds of revisions. Here's where they happen. Here's when they work. You get 48 hours to turn it around. If you exceed that, then it's going to push the entire timeline back by the additional amount of time, at least one week, um, whatever. So you spell out like what's going to happen if. I think that's super important. And, and I think we talked about this either on a prior episode or maybe we were just talking about this, you, me and Sarah, but, um, the client appreciates knowing that in the beginning rather than later on, like, Oh, you gave it to me one day late. Now it's a week pushback. Now mm -hmm. they're pissed. But if you tell them in the beginning, they're like, well, I knew this was coming. Yeah. Yeah. The whole, the whole process. I mean, we got to the point where, I mean, we do videos, but videos were actually helpful for us in that onboarding too. So literally as soon as we got a client, they would have a welcome video that explained all these aspects so that way that was also there for them to reference and to go back on so <clears throat> over communicate and i think that's that's definitely the key and that that helps for a certain jargon that came later in the process we introduced in the beginning so revisions or you know uh, different terminology that would come up later turnaround time and all that we explained it to them before if not during the sales process too so yeah just reiterate that, um, you know, as much as possible. I think the deliverables are, are obviously so key. I think from the, the client side, what can often be missed is like, what is non-negotiable? And, and I'll give you an example as it relates to brand, right? So I was in a marketing role before and we would have companies come in and say, oh, we, they would come in and, and, and Jeff and Tim know if I, I was like, if I have to sit through another discovery meeting and explain all these things again and again and again, but the, the point of the, that meeting is so valid and that the new vendor is trying to learn, right? I can respect that. What was interesting though, was in that next meeting, sometimes they would come back and say, oh, if, if, your, if your brand looked like this. And I learned over time that it was my responsibility as the client to say our brand, like the colors, the font, that stuff's not gonna change, right? Like nothing the vendor mm. can do is gonna change certain things, right? Or if you have a, have a, have a leader who says, I want this to be like in Jeff's case, I want this to be red. Right. Okay. Jeff doesn't want his logo to be pink, no matter how many times someone would recommend that to him. And so I think it's really important to a client for a client to say, you know, I'm looking for you to help us in this specific area. And frankly, you're wasting your time <laughs> if you spend time trying to change something that we're never going to change. <laughs> and I think it's just appropriate to be honest about what are you hiring them for and how much wiggle rumor and and how much opinion on things do you want you know maybe you don't want their opinion on the look of your website because you're not building a new website right now mm. <laughs> so i think i think that's that's really critical too you you think you want everyone's opinion but then sometimes you really don't because it's not in your wheelhouse or your budget right now to make those changes so kind of like stay in your lane a little bit <laughs> This is such a good point. I, I have to pick up on this because it's, it like it opens such a big door, right? So the best clients are the ones that think just like Sarah. 
right? So, so you're, you're telling us everything that we need to know what's off limits. What is the scope? Um, you know, what can we, where is there possibly some wiggle room, the whole thing, but as a vendor, you have to be really prepared that 99% of your clients are not going to be like that. They're not going to give you all the information. And then you're trying to constantly, if you're a smart business person, you're trying to deepen your relationship with that client and provide as much value as you possibly can. So I think it's incumbent upon any vendor to be really, really deliberate in their um, intake process and in their discovery process to get to know all of those sort of boundaries. Like, hey, I, you know, I noticed that you've got a website that's, you know, running on Squarespace. Um, talk to me about that. Tell me, like, are you guys working on that? Did you just redo it? Um, do you have a vendor for it? Like, just let me know, because we sometimes will advise on on websites. And we want to make sure that if we do that, we're not talking out of turn. The side benefit to this, which is something that I learned the hard way before, is that if you're like me, and you levy your opinion about anything and everything, um, you can sometimes walk into a situation where you're like, Oh, God, the website is terrible. What you don't realize is that the person that you are talking to is the one that built it. And then you have egg all over your face. And you've just sort of undermined the relationship you have with that person or that you're trying to build by basically crapping all over the work that they put out. So it's super important as a vendor to like ask those questions so that one, you know, where are the landmines? Like maybe, maybe there's like somebody in the company who has very strong opinions that you can't step on their toes because maybe they're related to the owner or something like that. And you just want to make sure that like you're very sensitive about that. Yeah, stuff like that. That's really important to do that on your vendor side. If you get a client that gives it to you and volunteers it, sweet. Otherwise, be ready as the vendor to, to try and gather as much of that as possible. So you know where you can play. And it, it totally is a fine line because it, Tim, Tim and I work together. That's a great example. Tim came to me after we had made a video together. And he said, would you want some short clips for social media? And I was like, yes, that's a great idea. Right. So I think too, there's it, it, sometimes the client doesn't always know what they want, but I think the way that you ask it is important. So building that relationship, having strong rapport, then it, it you know, Tim, Tim could say that very easily, I think, to me, and I could say yes or no. And, and because we had built that relationship up, if he would have come to me at the very beginning and said, how about all these clips for social media? I would have been like, oh, that's, that's not like the, the budget was allocated for a website video, right? So like, don't come at me with an upsell already. But as we got into the project and we had filmed some things, he said, oh, I, I took these these shots. I think they'd be great for social media. Like, do you want them? And, and this is how I could deliver those to you. And so it was a cool way to have a conversation, a candid conversation about extra deliverables, possibly extra price. Um, but because he had built that up for me and he wasn't trying to like, it didn't feel like he was trying to sell me something extra. Tim, I know you're hosting here, but can I ask you a question? Because sure. I think that leads to a really interesting point about surprise and delight. <laughs> I think um, I, I know you know the three of you well, and I know that that's like part and parcel of how you think. Like, how can I enrich this relationship? How can I make things better? Um, so I think vendors are kind of conditioned to think about like, how can I go a little bit above and beyond, even if I don't charge for it? And Tim, I think you do that exceptionally well. Um, so kind of what's your thinking around how to determine where the line is between surprise and delight and when you need to charge the client extra for something? Uh, that's kind of funny because I, I was actually, it's funny you say that because I recently I've been thinking like, oh, I never charge enough for like all this extra stuff I do. Uh, but um, I, I um, that's good. So, hmm. Well, I guess before you get yeah. to that, where does it come from? Like what, what, like in that moment where you're thinking about doing a little extra something, something for a client, like what goes through your head? Like, where does it come from? What, what is that born out of? Because regardless of whether or not you charge for it, I do think that that's one of the secrets to your success of building good client relationships is that like, you're just generous with your creativity and ideas. And yeah, that's your detriment sometimes because you don't charge enough for it, but at the same time, it also has probably come back over the long term to help you book more business. Yeah. So I actually, I was just thinking about this a moment, uh, like with a client conversation I had earlier today. So I, I think part of it is like, cause I, I, I wear multiple hats, you know what I mean? So I do multiple things. And a lot of times when somebody's like referred to me, they'll be referred to me for, for a specific thing. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you should talk to Tim if you're working on a video. And you're like, oh, I also do like motion graphics and and some other components over here. And it, and it's important for me to kind of like communicate that I also operate in these other spaces. 
So like sometimes it gives me an opportunity to be like, oh, I also do this line of work and I can give you a little sample of it this way. So that 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 I think that's part of it. Another another piece of it too is I um and I'm not sure if we've we've brought this up on the show, but I what I've learned at least over the past year is a lot of clients like working with me because I'm relatively um I'm like easy to work with and I'm and 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 clients know that I want to make them happy. You know what I mean? And I and I'm reliable. So like I, I like so I I feel confident that I can rely on the fact that this client's gonna come back to me if I, you know what I mean, if if I if I go a little bit extra to make them happy and like and and so when they think of like in the future, like, oh, I need to video, and they're like, Oh, Tim was a really pleasure to work with and he really you know, like he he did right by our company. So like I'm I like their, their brain automatically goes back to me. I don't think that's why I started doing it purposely. I think I just like like to please people. So that's why I end up doing like naturally do that stuff. But like I think those are some of the benefits that I've gotten out of it. And and lately it's just like I, I just need to like kind of what like like tinker with, you know, like how I put position those things, making sure like it doesn't put me over my head as far as like time wise on something, you know, um, and and figuring and and kind of bite me in the ass later. You know what I mean? So making sure like everything's in balance still. I think though, like from my perspective and this going to the back to this example between between Tim and I, the next time I had a project, I knew I wanted those social media clips and we worked it into the project. So yep. It yeah. almost is like a, um, what is it, Auntie Anne's that does like the, well, not anymore, I'm sure, but the free samples at the mall. Like exactly. now I know yeah, yeah. that like the yeah. sugar cinnamon pretzel, like now I want that. And so I think, you know, had I not had a, had a taste of it or even known that Tim had that capability. So it is a way, you know, clients are often hiring you for one specific thing. They might not know that like, you do great voiceover work. Okay, cool. Like we could use, like Jeff had done some voiceovers for us. Like that wasn't even something I had originally thought of him for, but he was able to do that. And I think that little sampling um, can can really go a long way. And now when I'm telling someone else, making a referral or booking you again for something else, I know that's something I'm interested in. And now I'm willing, I'm willing to pay for it. There's a great value there. Sir, when you were a client, did you ever think about surprising and delighting your vendors? I mean, it was always a delight to work with you, but I mean, like from the perspective of like what we're talking about with like Tim going a little bit extra, was it ever strategically in your mind as a client that your vendor might go a little bit above and beyond for you if X, Y, or Z, or if like you sent them a Christmas card or like whatever it might be, to, is that like a part of being a client that has, has ever worked for you? A hundred percent. Because again, this isn't about a client and a vendor. These are about two people who are human beings who have real feelings who want to work together. And so, um, you know, I would try to make it simple as, you know, that initial sort of pack of things you give to people like colors, brand, website, the photo, video assets. I would have them all packaged in a Google Drive ready to give to them because I didn't want you to have to chase me down for two weeks to get my hexadecimal colors. Like, here they are. Like we just signed the agreement five minutes later, you've got the folder with everything in it. Right. Um, so I would try to do little things that would make their life easier. And the other big thing was to say, thank you. Right. To say like, Oh my God, partial, that thing you made me is gorgeous. I love it. That, that, that worked out perfectly. That so aligns with our brand. Like giving praise and feedback is such a simple, easy thing to do. But I think clients don't do that often. They are quick to pick up the phone and say, you screwed up, but they're not quick to say, thank you for the wonderful work that you're doing. So I I did try, I did. <laughs> yeah, and your vendors are way more likely to go like above and beyond for you if you give, if you just give positive feedback when you like the things they do, you know what I mean? Because they'll walk away and they'll just be like, like, I don't know why I really like working with that person. And it's largely because like, they always tell you how much they like working with you, you know? So um, yeah. Well, also yeah. see of like, sometimes if you have, a, you know, let's say you have five clients and you have four fairly difficult maybe like two of them are like kind of a pain and then like two of them are like okay like we're doing the work and then you have one who's like just 
they they appreciate what you do. They see the hard work that you put in, even if they don't like something, they tell it to you in a way where like it's useful feedback and like it, it spares your feelings and doesn't like criticize you as a human. Like if you have those five clients, like which is the one that if they ask for something, you're going to jump to do something for? Like I would have driven from my house in reverse to come and work with you, Sarah. And, <laughs> and like it was, it was partly because like delight to work with, but I think it's also the contrast factor that like when you work with somebody who's really like appreciative and says nice things, then you have somebody who's like arduous that like you barely want to get out of bed to talk to them. There's a big disparity there. And it's like, it's almost a competitive advantage as a client to just be nice to your vendors. You're going to, they're going to bump you up to the front of the line when they have projects because they don't want to disappoint you. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, we were on, Tim's been with me like all day photo shoots in the hot summer heat and and sun and like we would be sweating and it would be eight o'clock and I was like Tim do you do you want to get dinner like (laughs) I'll buy you Chipotle at the mall like whatever like nothing fancy but I think those little things of saying like I I know this day was hard (laughs) like let me do something small to make it up to you I, I do think that goes a really long way and it is a way to say a way to say thank you and, yeah. and it, and it, sorry, sorry, Prashad, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, Tim, you had mentioned something earlier, the question of like, well, what, it, where does that come from that makes you want to do, do really well for your clients? And you mentioned it is like a P creatives, like we want to do our very best job. Like we want you to be over the moon. Um, that was, it took, it took me developing some tough skin to, you know, navigate those conversations, but absolutely like the people that, um, you know, really acknowledge the work that you're doing. Um, you just, you want to go over and beyond for them. And I think that the more, the more the clients are aware of that, the more we'll do for you because we like, we'll get better at wanting to make you happy because that's what we want to do with our work. You know what I mean? So the fact that someone even <laughs> say, oh yeah, 10 seconds, like, could you add this? I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. Like I, I want it to be, you know, as best as it, as it can be. So when they acknowledge the effort, um, it, it really goes a long way because they don't see behind the scenes, not just what you're doing on the computer, but what's going on inside of you while you're trying to create this piece because it represents a part of you. And so it's very much like <laughs> it's a very vulnerable kind of thing. But the more people can embrace and see that and uh, show empathy and acknowledge that stuff, it just gives us more juice as creatives to want to do more. I think clients forget that every time you work with a new vendor, you are starting over. So if I would have ever had to fire Tim, which thankfully I've never had to do, um, and I had to get a new vendor, how much time it would take for me to get that new vendor up to the place where Tim was. So it is advantageous for me to make Tim as successful as he can be because I don't want to have to start over with a new vendor all the time. That is just wasting so much time, money, effort, resources. And I think clients think it's easy to just switch vendors and start over and, and fire this person and get it, find a new one. Like it's not, you are wasting your own time and money by doing that. So I always wanted to see my, my vendors succeed because that was also helpful to me. It was saving me time. Actually, I, I have a, this is something I've been thinking about lately on the reverse side. Um, so when I'm, when I'm communicating with clients, I'm always curious, like how much are just like via email or like, like pleasantries to them. You know what I mean? Like, let's say hypothetically you ask a question and then they give you an answer. Do you like respond back after that and be like, Oh, thank you so much for, for, you know, returning my email so quickly. Or do, or would you think they prefer to just like end the communication there so they can go about their, like, I, I, I've been trying to figure that out. Like how much positive feedback does the client need on the other side? For me, I would say if, as, as the vendor, just to acknowledge whatever they said, that's my thinking is like, let me just confirm that this has been received and this is getting us closer to our objective. You know, that's, that would be the reason for me to do a pleasantry is just to say, yep, I got it. You're on top of it. Thank you so much. Like mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I I get that because it's like sometimes you feel that um, like, okay, confirm receipt. But then does the other person have to say, cool, confirm that you got my thing. (laughs) It ends in this like endless loop where like 50 strings down. Thank you. No, no, thank you. Um, So there's like a point where it's got to cut off. So I've I've thought about that, Tim, and I don't know the right answer to it because as someone who struggles, you know, I I actually manage my email pretty well, but it always feels like a struggle. Um, 
I, I don't like the idea of one additional message that carries no other value except acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. So I've tended to opt towards sending less of those, especially because I'm probably in communication with my clients on a regular basis on say Zoom or mm-hmm. uh, maybe Slack or maybe we're in like a Google chat together or something like that. So typically I, I might send them something via more short form communication to be like, yep, got it, all good. Something like that. Um, but I don't know, I think... It, most people that I know struggle with email in some form or another. Like I see people with that, that little red notification bubble and it's got like 10,000 emails. And I'm like, I don't know how you live like this. Um, but I would just assume then that not adding to that is more of a sign of respect than giving them the confirmation that you received an email. Cause let's be real. Your email got through like 99% of the time if you're sending from a reputable email, somebody you've emailed before, like it's not in their spam folder, got through. It's a good excuse to use like, Oh, sorry, I got caught in a junk filter. Uh, yeah because uh you like i feel like in person i'm like very warm and like uh verbose i don't know verbose is the right word but like in in uh in emails i feel like generally i'm like very minimalist sometimes borderline cold in the amount of information that i give via text messages or or text-based communications I think it's important to know how and and what mode of communication you should be using because email can get so misinterpreted and frustrating and yeah. it's like what did he what did he mean by that? Yeah. <laughs> Where you know if it's a if it's a conversation that needs to be had like pick up the phone and call this person or hop on Zoom and share your screen and show the parts that you didn't like or the show the parts that you loved. Like I think we're so afraid nowadays to pick up the phone. Like Tim called me this morning and it's like, oh my gosh, why is Tim calling? Like my gut reaction is, is he okay? Right. (laughs) But it was easier for him and I to have a conversation this morning rather than, you know, text back and forth. So I think it's important to um, know how the client and the vendor both like to uh, receive communications and is that email, text, phone, and when it needs to be a phone call, pick up the phone and have a conversation. Like, don't be afraid to have conversations, even if they're hard. So much gets resolved over a phone call that via email just escalates because some people, um, their email tone can be very, it can sound very condescending or rude or dismissive. And you get on the phone with them, it seems that everything is fine. The other thing is if it it actually happens to be rude, condescending, or mean, people are much more reluctant to do that when you get on the phone with them. And if you have Mm. a warm and engaging personality to begin with, you can sometimes neutralize that like pretty quickly. So in general, I think that escalating anything out of a text-based communication to a phone call or a video chat is often a good idea if you start to sense any sort of danger in, in where it's going. And then I would follow up, like I would always do this, you know, we'd have a phone call and, you know, if I was giving feedback, I would say, okay, we talked about it. I'm just going to write that in an email to you. So you also have it written down, but I like to explain it to people first or vice versa. Like I would send an email with all the notes and then say, okay, let's hop on the phone in an hour after you've had a chance to look at this and I'll walk you through it. So I think, I think using both modes of communication can be helpful, but uh, certainly phone calls are, are great. Yeah. And Tim, to your point about being minimalist or potentially sounding cold, that's just a thing that I think um, you have to you have to try to think how much effort and time you want to put into that. But I spend a lot of time in my email making sure that the tone isn't received as direct or aggressive or curt. Um, I do a lot to like assure that I'm I'm not giving the impression that the other person is wrong. Right. So like I'm not saying like you idiot, you didn't understand me in so many words, of course, but rather saying like, hey, I totally get it. Like, you know, sometimes two people can see things different way. Let me explain my point of view. So this, so it's always like about creating as many words as you need to use so that the email doesn't potentially jeopardize the relationship that you have, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say hypothetically, you're in a situation um, where you know that the, uh, that the, the, work relationship that you have with your vendor or client isn't going in the right direction. And I don't necessarily mean like in an animosity type of way, but like, just like the projects, not like you realize you're on different pages, you know what I mean? And what one, what one person thought the other person was, you know, not thinking. So what should like, what should you do to try and like get realigned? What are some things you can do to like, like in, in the best way possible? 
I think it's important as the client to take a step back and say, I've hired this person for a reason and they're an expert. So just saying, okay, like, am I not driving with this? Is this not aligned with the company or the brand? Or is this a real problem on their side? Like, where is the problem? Because at one point I liked them and I thought they could do this enough to hire them. So like, where did I lose trust or faith in them or this process? And I think it's important to really, you know, consider that from all angles before you, you know, pounce on someone or, or jump to a conclusion too soon because you hired an expert for a reason. And that's important to not lose sight of when in the heat of the moment you're upset about something. Everybody concur in that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess my big thing would be so, and and I deal with this a lot. Um, not, I, I maybe not a lot. I just mean over the past, like you know, eleven or twelve years, I've been doing this. Like this is, it's come up more than once. Um, I think what people's default reaction to this is to not address it, is to like run away from it, to say like it'll work itself out or whatever. I've taken the approach in recent years of um, what I would call productive conflict, which is don't run away from it, immediately cause a collision. Let's jump on the phone. We jump on the phone. Hey, it seems like we're just not on the same page about mm -hmm. this. Can you spare like 20 minutes where we can walk through this? I want to tell you where I'm coming from, what I see, what I see is the different things. You tell me yours. The end of this call, what I want the outcome to be is that we're on the same page and we can move forward because we obviously want to do great work for you and you want us to do great work for you. So let's just work this out as quickly as possible. That way we can move forward because what people will tend to do is procrastinate and put off that conversation, put it off because it's uncomfortable. Nobody likes conflict. But the thing is understanding that nobody likes conflict gives you some power because if you force it, you're put it, you're you're acknowledging we're both uncomfortable with this, right? Let's just address it and deal with it. And then you get to like make it not that uncomfortable. You get to say like, hey, these things happen. Like, you know, we might have read the brief wrong. We we misunderstood a part of it. Like help me better understand X, Y, and Z. And again, this is part of the reasons why you choose your clients carefully because the right clients will go, oh, totally get it. Yeah, we want to do great work together. Like if anything ever went sideways when Sarah and I were working together, I'm certain that it would have been just a conversation. We would have fixed it. Yeah. Um, as opposed to like some clients who just will read you the riot act about why didn't you deliver this and that. And like, it might even be their fault, right? Like they're five weeks late on giving you feedback. And then you're like, you know, trying to get to the next phase. And they're like, why isn't it starting by Wednesday? And you're like, because you're five weeks late. Like mm -hmm. Everything gets pushed back. Yeah. Um, but then it just gets ugly, right? So like you have to try and find a way where you invite everyone to the table to be as reasonable as possible towards working towards a shared objective. Okay. So final question. Wait, Parshall, do you want to add anything to that? Oh, no, I, I, I agree. I concur. Go for it, Tim. Okay. All right. Final question. Um, how do you decide that what, what, like, how do you decide and how do you, yeah, how do you decide that this relationship can't go forward? Like, is there a point where you're like, okay, looking at everything, I, I don't, I don't think we can move forward anymore together. Like, like how, how do you, how do you get there? Or what, what are the things that have to happen for you to get there? I'm batting cleanup on this one. I want the last word on this one. <laughs> so I think this is like a breakup, right? This is like a, like a, like we started, it's a romantic relationship. No. Um, but at some point you need to be able to say, this isn't working for either of us. And I have, I have been in this situation where the, the vendor actually said, yeah, okay, bye. Like, we, they didn't want to work with me as much as I no longer wanted to work with them, right? Because for some reason we got into this relationship, but it just wasn't a good fit. Like I was, I was essentially small potatoes to, to this vendor mm -hmm. and we're like, oh, yeah, like we we're now taking bigger clients and you're no longer a good fit. It's like, okay, that's fine. But it, it, it is interesting sometimes when you pull the bandaid off and say, I don't think this is working. How many times I've been in a situation where they're like, yeah, you're, you're right. Us, we feel the same way. So I think sometimes it's just about, again, being open and honest about it as soon as you can be, because often if you're feeling that, so are they. And I think that's, you know, that's sometimes how relationships end in, in all kinds of walks of life. So. Marshall? Yeah, it's definitely like there's boundaries that have been crossed and, um, you know, I've I've had 
a, a well-paying client who basically cussed at me over the phone. Like, mm-hmm. and I remember at that point thinking, I will never allow this to happen again. Mm-hmm. I also had my teammate, she listened to the call later and she was like, I can't believe you, you didn't even like cuss back or, cause it was very, I mean, this client was just going off. And it was one of those situations where it was not our fault. Like literally, and I'm pulling up emails, I'm pulling up documentation, like, this is what we said. I'm not sure where you're, you know, what's happened here. Um, but nevertheless, it was a horrible situation for me, which crossed a personal boundary. Um, so if that's happened, um, then that's definitely like a huge red flag um, in terms of like, this can't happen anymore. And then also, like you said, if the share, if the objective that once was has now completely changed or we're not even progressing towards it, like this is not doing you any favors. It's definitely not doing us because it's getting dragged on. So mm-hmm. at some points we have to um, put a hard, you know, draw in the sand to say like, we're not going past this date. You know, if this isn't done by then, you know, this, we, we need to stop. So again, going back to the objectives, the deliverables and the deadlines, that was also a huge reference point for, can we still get there in the time that we said, do you still want to like things like that, that just, um, help to clarify, like, should this continue um, or not? So, hmm. yeah, those are the things that come to mind right now. I'm probably sure after we hang up from here, I'll be like, oh, that too. And oh, this yeah, too. yeah, those are things that are on my head right now. I, I have four things. So I think there are four, four times, four reasons why you break up with a client, you fire them, whatever. Okay. The first, if you are clear on what your purpose is, what you're trying to do in the world, and this client is an obstacle in your ability to do that, you should get rid of them. You're free to, now you may decide you wanna keep them for a little bit because you need the money for this client, whatever, whatever, but you are well within your right to say, listen, I have a certain objective of what I'm trying to achieve in my life. And you know, I feel like this isn't a good fit client relationship wise for me. Um, you know, And then, and, and in all the ones I'm about to give here, be the best person you can, like be the bigger person and try and do right by that client on the way out, even if you have to fire the client. Um, Give them all of the deliverables, give them all of the raw materials, say, look, it's on you, good luck, have a good time. The second is if they do something unethical. So ethic breaches, I think are a immediate cause. And it's actually in my agreement, I have an ethical clause that if clients ever found to be doing something unethical, I can terminate them on the spot. Um, So that could be, you know, anything from, um, you know, like astroturfing reviews and creating fake accounts and bots to like tear down their competitors or anything that like I could look at and say, I don't want to be associated with that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't align with my values. Terminate. Um, so that's the second one. Third one, this one I've absolutely enforced. I will allow a client to speak to me however they speak to me. And generally, I'm good enough to be able to manage that conversation, even if it's disrespectful. But if you disrespect my team, it's like you have a one strike rule. If you disrespect anybody on my team, you have to go through me first and I will fire you. I will fire you on the spot if you ever do it again. So for me, disrespecting my team is like a major no-no. Now, if they want to disrespect me, I have a little bit more tolerance for it. I'll work it out. We'll figure out how we get on the right page. But which leads to my fourth reason why you fire someone. It's just not worth it anymore. So if somebody's disrespectful to me or causes me too much stress, I'm losing sleep. They text me and I'm like, Ugh, and I have that gut reaction and they're just awful. Then just fire them. Like you have no obligation to work with anyone for any reason. If they're a jerk, if they're mean, if they cause you too much stress, I don't care how much money they pay you. Self-respect is worth more. Kick them to the curb. And in mm-hmm. all these Again, try to be the best possible person. Try and make a, you know, in some cases, if you can make an introduction for them, maybe if you find someone less scrupulous than yourself, who's willing to take on the work, you know, like you don't want to, you don't really want to harm them necessarily, um, but you don't have to put up with whatever that nonsense is. And those are my four reasons to, to get out. It doesn't align with your purpose, conflicts with your ethics, they disrespect your team, um, or uh, it's too stressful and just not worth it. Mm. Okay. Well, so now let's talk about romantic relationships with clients. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, uh, thank you for joining us today on the Hero Council. Uh, it was great to have both of you here. And, uh, and uh, Jeff, Parshel, Sarah, it's great to see you again. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Wait a minute. Yeah. Into. Somebody has to be into something.
Oh yeah, that's right. Um, who's into something this week? I'm into HelloFresh. Ah, hmm. seen a lot of their ads. Yeah, so the the meals come and they're all like there's only two of us in the house, so it's that's all portioned and it's um it feels like I'm not wasting food, which I really am into right now because it felt like I was buying mm. stuff, cooking for two, and throwing stuff away, and it just feels like I'm not wasting as much, and it's reasonably priced. So, and it's been fun. It's been fun to do some cooking of new recipes. Does that mean we uh, picked up a sponsor? Yes. No. <laughs> Oh my God, that would have been such a slick way. To yeah. By the way, guys, this episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. And, um, uh, I'm I'm gonna add one just because I talked about it in the in the geek out earlier. But um, I bought Tony Hawk Pro Skater One and Two remastered for PlayStation Four. And if you are in your mid to late 30s or mid to early 40s, uh, you probably want to pick up a copy of it because it's mm. super freaking awesome and it's. Okay. A down memory lane. That's right. You texted me about that earlier. Yeah, it's so good. You should buy it. We could play together. Oh, oh, it's, oh, really? There's a multiplayer. Oh, nice. Okay. All right. I will. Uh, all right, guys. Um, we'll uh, see you next week here on the Heroic Council. <laughs> 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 yep.